This is the recipe powered by Sauce Music. Okay, uh, welcome everyone to another episode. I'm joined by a very special guest, someone I'm lucky enough to call a good friend, my man Benzo Youngins. Benzo, welcome to the show, man. Oh, thank you, brother. Happy to be here. Yeah, pleasure to have you. Uh, how you doing today? Happy Friday. Good, bro. I'm doing good. I um, chill morning, had a workout, went to go get some tacos with my homies. Um, probably going to go out tonight. But just chilling, bro. It's been cold out here in LA, low key. It's getting cold now. I was gonna say, sun's still shining on you. You're out in LA, as I know, but the people might not know. So you're out in LA right now. I guess we can start there. Um, based on LA at the moment, uh, do you mind providing a little bit of context? Uh, you know where you're from, and you know is yeah. that where you're from or where where you've moved from? Yeah, so I grew up in New Hampshire, a small town called Hembrook in New Hampshire. Uh, I was at a high school with like. My graduating class had like 150 students, so super small town vibes. And then when I was 18, um, I graduated high school and I was going to go to Berkeley in Boston for music. Um, and then I auditioned and I got in and everything. But then it just was like financially didn't make sense because like it was like 70 grand or something uh, per year. So I had some homies who were uh, moving out to L.A. Like one of my homies, his girlfriend was into cosmetology. And he had a spot and he was looking for roommates. And I was like, this has always been my dream. So I was like, yeah, let's get it. 2019, I moved out here in, uh, in January. So I'm going on, what's the math there? Like my fifth year in LA, which is crazy. About, yeah. 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 Wild. Well, I mean, I was going to ask you right off that then, um, you know, I think I I've heard tremendous things about, it. I believe it's a Berkeley School of Music in Boston. And I know you're not the first person that's mentioned they thought about going there or to maybe an NYU. And I know I went to University of Michigan. There's a pretty established music production program there. But, you know, I guess it goes back to um, was L.A. always a dream? And you kind of touched upon that. So at what, at what age and at what point um, did you decide? Well, let's start with, you know, when did you start making music? You know, I guess that's so I, I was um, I was like I was a little kid. Music was I had a big family and music was always kind of big um, when we were growing up. And uh, my parents were very religious. And when I was six, we like moved churches. We went to this new church and um, there was this, I think it might've been the first time I ever saw like a live drummer. And um, he was drumming at the church and I like instantly like was obsessed. And so I told my parents like probably the same day that I wanted, I wanted a drum set, I want to get into drumming and everything like that. And um, they just couldn't afford it at that time. So my mom, she had been learning guitar. So when I was six, she started teaching me guitar. And then she wanted to see how serious I took that um, before they like made the big purchase of getting me a drum set. So uh, when I was nine, I got my first drum kit because they saw that I was like really serious about music. And um, and yeah, like as soon as I got the drum set, I started taking that way more serious than than guitar. I still played it on the side and took lessons. Mm -hmm. um the drums were always like i was obsessed I, I like couldn't get off it like when i when they first bought it bought me my drum set i think i played it from like noon until like nine or like 7 p.m just all day just learning they got me this like like learning book and i finished it in like an hour and a half and then was just practicing all day wow i was gonna say um you know i can see for those who are listening uh i'll explain i can see a piano next to you, a guitar on the back there, and, and the drum set as well. I mean, you got the full arsenal. Yes, um, sir. I mean, I, I think I personally have seen you play drums. Um, now, has that been, you know, obviously it sounds like you had a real passion for the drums specifically. I know you produce overall. Is there 
maybe an instrument you feel the most comfortable with or the most passionate about. And I guess real quick, it goes back to when you clearly displayed such a passion at a young age. I mean, seven hours on the on the drum straight. Um, so I guess it's a two part question. One is, um, you know, what you know, what was it passion driving you? Was it, you know, I mean, where did that passion come from? And then secondly, um, you know, did that kind of lead you more towards drums or would you say as of, you know, today in 2023, you're a more holistic artist in terms of, because I define you as a musician and a producer more than just one particular instrument. So. I would, I don't even know. Like I was so young. It was just, I I guess like uh, when I saw the, the drummer, I just, I don't even know. I just became instantly like, uh I, I guess mesmerized like in a way like that drummer at that church became like my idol and like every time like every Sunday I would just look forward to just like watching him and my parents knew when it was time to like buy me a drum set because I would just like we'd be on car rides and I would like use pencils on like shoe boxes and just like play in the back seat and they're like what's going on they're like oh wait he's actually on beat like my brother would be like dude you can't even keep rhythm and I'm like like yeah I can um and what was the second question I forget well, uh, you know, it was just off of that. I, I feel like, you know, you, I mentioned, you know, the array of instruments you have in your studio right there behind you. And it's just for those listening, as I described, you know, he's got a guitar, piano, drums, and I've seen you play drums. But, you know, I was just curious in terms of your uh, approach to music today as a producer, is it a more holistic? And again, I kind of, I think we're going a little bit from the past to the present, but we'll, we'll make yeah. it come together. But I'm just curious, you know, did the drums kind of take off for you in a sense that this is what I really want to do? And it sounds like you found your inspiration in, in that drummer at the church, which is, a, I think, a very beautiful way to find you know, sort of inspiration. But I was just curious, do you feel like as you grew as a musician that the drums was kind of like your your foundation and your centerpiece to what yeah. your vision was? Or did you start to kind of bring the guitar back and you know start to work on the keys? Like, I'm just curious. Like, what, if you could describe what percentage of the drums kind of makes up your musical mind, if that makes sense. So I would, I would like, um, I would say like I'm competent in all the, in like, like I play bass and guitar and, and piano. Piano is my weakest instrument, but I would say like, I, I kind of think of everything from a rhythm standpoint, like rhythm and bass. I mean, sorry, guitar and bass are all rhythm instruments. Mm-hmm. Um, like people don't think that, but like the strumming and like fret, fretting the fret hand and like picking everything, you're all, you're playing rhythms, you're playing notes. Yeah. But it's like, in, it's rhythmically. So like, there's like, the, the notation you know that goes along with the drums so that always came really easily easily to me um so like once you learn the chords because a lot of people think that like you're learning guitar you learn the chords you got it down but then they're struggling with strumming or they're struggling with strumming and singing at the same time because their brain can't process the two like things at once but that specifically always came like kind of easy to me since since i was had such like a rhythmic brain um but as a producer now it kind of started because i was like oh well i'm i'm like so confident in the drums like like sometimes i would just lay down a drum line and then build on top of that if it wasn't guitar it was like piano or like i used to use fl studio and that's what i would do and i would like at the time i was listening to trap music so i I would like do like a trap beat which was easy to me as a drummer because it's not like a necessarily very complicated drum pattern um the only thing like maybe the hi-hats are a little complicated um so yeah kind of like the drums i would guess kind of like welds everything together like i would say i'm I'm a strong, like right now I do a lot of pop punk music and I consider myself like pretty, um, pretty uh, confident in in that just like because of like the drums. Like when I hear Travis Barker, 
I can hear like what he's doing and what he's playing. So like if I, I use that as inspiration to like create something like that of my own, you know, like that. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think it's a great answer. And, you know, I think um, I guess my next question definitely goes back to, you know, you found inspiration from that drummer at church. I guess some years past, you're playing the drums pretty frequently. Um, I guess, you know, and then you clearly demonstrated some competence by getting accepted to Berkeley. And, and it sounds like, you know, I assume you just improved and improved and improved. Um, when did you play your first live show? At what age was that? Um, it's okay. So like, like I said, I went to a really small high school. Um, and there, you know, there's like, there's like the, the orchestra, or like the, the school band, you know, that sometimes they play like, um, you know, orchestral music, which is, which is like, you know, symphonies or whatever. But sometimes we would do like, like rock songs or, or whatever, you know, to like appease the crowd and stuff. Um, but when I was a kid, I was, I think I was like 11 or 12. Um, so my dad was a teacher at the school and the, the high school band didn't have a drummer. And I always noticed that. And I was like, dad, like they don't have a drummer. Like you should, you should talk. Cause he was close friends with the music director. And so as a 12 year old, um, I like joined the high school band and was playing with them. Yeah. Like shows and stuff. I, she had me do like a, a drum solo, like my first year or something like that. And I was like, dude, I was so young, but people were coming up to me like, Oh, like you were like Ringo Starr. They were like, Oh, I couldn't even see your hands. And I, I don't know, it just boosted my ego like a bunch. Cause I was so young. Um, but yeah, I think like around 11 or 12, probably it was like my first, like, I guess performance. Um, but I also like, I, I did like performances on the guitar at like church and stuff uh, at a younger age, like probably like 10 or 11. Um, so I don't know. I just always like, I, I was always encouraged, like, especially by my family, but like by people in, in the groups and in the uh, communities that I was in to like perform. Cause I was just this little kid who was passionate about like playing guitar and singing or drums. Um, yeah. Super young. Yeah. Well, you know, I asked the question because one, you know, from what I've seen, I can just tell that, you know, the live performance space is something that you're incredibly gifted in. You know, I think your presence on a stage is well noted by anyone far and wide. I know we've discussed it as um like stick tricks in terms of just your ability to like, you're just overall aura and presence on the drums, just incredible. You know, the energy that you bring, and I'm, I'm sure it, it emulates the passion that that young kid had that when you started playing drums. So I think it's incredible. But I do ask because, you know, I think that instrumentation in general, especially in this age where everything has become so much more digitized than maybe when we were growing up listening to music and now everything's online and you can make a radio ready song in your bedroom while using programs that almost simulate the drums, they simulate the guitar. You can pull a loop from YouTube or whatever it is. So I'm just curious, you know, you kind of have the, uh, do you see musician and producer as like a dual split, almost like alter egos, or do you see it is one together for Benzo. Like what's the, what's the feeling there? Oh, like from, like for me, like, do I see myself as more of a musician or a producer? Not necessarily more of one or the other, but like, yeah, I, you know, yeah, sure. I guess we could start well, there. I, when I was a kid, because I, I didn't like, especially where I grew up, small town, like I didn't, there was nobody around me that could, could like play like multiple instruments. I knew people that could play like some piano and some guitar um and or like just guitar like just you know piano or whatever um but like because of how well versed i was i always saw myself as like becoming a one-man band so when i was a kid i i would like i had this little like tablet like i think it was like a samsung tablet and i would make my my own songs like just like as a little kid i would record 
record using the tablet, I would record my drums downstairs in my basement and like play guitar over it. And um, so like I wouldn't really call that production, but like at an early age, I like I saw the potential of like combining all the things together, which I didn't even connect like that into like production. I didn't even think about that until I was much older. Um, but yeah, it's like as of right now, like at least financially, I'm making more, I'm doing, making more moves as a musician because I'm like so well versed. Like, if, like, for example, I played the other day, I played at a, at a um, family, at a family party randomly. I just came with an acoustic guitar and, you know, we did like sing-alongs um, and that, you know, super random. And then I do a lot of shows on bass. I do a lot of shows on drums and then like the gig with Bailey uh, or, or party alone. It's like, you know, randomly comes up. Um, and then like, I don't love doing like paid sessions with random people, like as a producer, I don't really love doing that. Like it, it kind of takes for me the, the, the fun out of it, which like lowers my creative drive. If I'm like working with an artist that I'm not necessarily in love with, or we're making a song that I don't necessarily love. Um, so right now I would say my, I'm more of a, like a, a freelance musician and production for me is like a side hustle that's like low pressure so i can like continue to get better and better as i'm like increasing my my, my uh reach as a musician sure. so then once i'm like like at that level like as a producer i can start making making waves with that um so yeah like that's kind of where i'm at right now and and there's certainly a correlation between the two obviously i think producers are musicians and musicians are producers and i wouldn't I didn't try to set you up there to almost like skew between the two, but I think it's important to recognize just because a lot of the themes that I touch upon on this show, people have heard is just, as I mentioned, this digitization of the industry and how, you know, a lot of it, especially because of COVID started to shift online. I mean, we saw things kind of skyrocket in the NPR tiny desk world, which I guess is still more, you know, that's live, but broadcasted digitally. But even something that I thought was interesting was like that Travis Scott Fortnite concert, for example, very far away from an actual concert, but in some regards, it might be what the future of entertainment can be. You know, when, when people say metaverse and music, I start to think about what that Travis Scott Fortnite concert was because that required a ton of production. It is not, not as much instrumentation in live time. And I'm more of a music purist. I think as COVID has come to an end, live shows are coming back in fall. And it really, I think took, you know, took full swing in 2023. I think it's really important for musicians like yourself to be supported, to find people to collaborate with and to perform live because my fear, and I'm curious what your stance on maybe what, what the possibilities are, is that the live show eventually doesn't have the same sort of feel that it did. You know, I think when music was growing and, and coming up, I think 70s, 80s, 90s, even early 2000s, like it's crazy how everything's done online now. And obviously, as we both know, we we see these live performances on YouTube, which are very good. But I do think, again, like having people come out to concerts and buy tickets and experience that in real time, in real life. I saw Kendrick Lamar perform at a very young age and I was mesmerized by how talented this man was because he did not take one breath. He Every every word came out of his microphone. And then I go see someone who I think is quite talented. And this isn't, I, I think it was a different type of experience, but I go see a Kodak Black, for example, and he's just pumping the audio, you know, behind him. There's no live instrumentation where it's Kendrick had some. And it's just every like fifth word he's he's mentioned, he's singing along. And it's just, again, as a purist, I was much more um, 
interested and moved and, and, and inspired by the Kendrick show than I was by the Kodak show and had a lot to do with live instrumentation, including the live vocals. So I'm just curious if you have an opinion on that and where the industry is going just from your lens as a, as a performer and as a musician. Performance and, and kind of the songwriting process in, in general, how it's shifted like throughout the years um, as technology like increased. For example, songwriting now I feel like is so different than than it was like, I don't know, like in the 80s or, or 70s or like like the Beatles, they would get together and they would write songs together. They would they would write it and then record it. They go to the studio and record it. But nowadays, I feel like it's like usually the producer will make a beat and then the artist will write over it or the artist will write a song and then a producer will like create something from that. Yeah, so, the but, yeah, the process just completely changes. And, and as far as like, I know a lot of people who um, who hate when bands like play with tracks and because uh, it takes away the the real, you know, the, the real raw, which I, I do agree in, in some extent. But there's a lot of live performances that that like songs need some form of track behind it. If it's like just like background, like or, or whatever that they can't produce sonically live performance like itself comes from the energy that the artists and the and the performers like put on stage and i i'm sure kendrick like put on a show like crazy um but i bet you know kodak like he's like he, you know he's just like playing a show and it's like oh just like playing the track behind he's, he only has to say a couple words because everybody's singing the song anyway he doesn't care whether he performs well or not because people already bought the tickets i think again maybe that's what fans to a degree want because if someone like Kodak were just saying every lyric it might not sound as good I don't know but I think you made a really good point about like how maybe there are certain aspects that are needed when you have tracks behind it so that that's a very good point to to consider which also depends too because like these artists go on tour and they're playing multiple shows back-to-back days sometimes which like vocalists I mean if they're like reaching those notes you know their voice gets tired and this is something my friend said to me and it's only natural you want to screech you want to like voice crack on stage because you're so tired and you want to like just run it and then you know basically like have your energy going and have the crowd sing most of the song that's when I'm the most impressed by bands if I can tell like the vocals aren't in there you know they're really playing like that guitarist is really playing that solo or really playing that intro riff that drummer's really doing that fill and i think this is sort of what you were getting at too is that like there are pros and cons to technology in general because there are certain sounds that maybe can't be recreated in that live environment whether it's uh because of you know as you said there's harmonizing that comes in that maybe has to be done at different points in the studio session that to have it sound full, I think like full is a really good word and wholesome that you need. So I think that's a really fair sort of point where maybe like old school people who grew up watching bands live with no sort of tracks in the back or nothing like that would say, well, that's not how it's supposed to be done. And maybe some newer people would say, well, you know, how, how higher quality performance do you want? Because we can deliver a higher quality performance while sacrificing the, the traditional values, which I think is a good metaphor for like a lot of what we see in life in general you know sports and movies and just things like across the board and culture that i think a lot of people that grew up with the things a certain way want it to stay that way and people who are new that are experiencing it differently you know like a Fortnite concert or something like that might want it different so i think i think an understanding of the pros and cons of both is, is really powerful yeah yeah i think it's important to see like kind of the progression of technology as like just that's how it is and like not to like be butthurt because things how weren't how aren't how they used to be like i was telling i don't know my friend's mom my roommate's mom like came to visit one time and i was like showing her a beat or something that i made and I'm like oh we're gonna write to this and she's like what are you talking about like that's not how you write a song 
I'm like, it like yes, it is. This is how we do it. This is how, like the beat. Like like in my process, typically the beat will come first. If it's not the beat, I'll write a guitar thing and then send it to artists I'm working with, and they'll they'll write over it. But typically, it's like I have a beat ready. They come over, we 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 cut the vocals, and then and then there, like you know. Yeah. Um, I, so like I'll send different beats to like different people if I feel like they're gonna like. So doesn't. But like that's how that's that's the process now that is like typical like that's like i feel like most people are doing it that way like beat comes first and the artist will write how they're inspired not always but like you know that's like typical now well i think i think because of the way in which we live our lives the busyness of people and also just the overall reach of talent it it's almost better that it's that way because now an artist like yourself living in los angeles california can connect with an artist in new hampshire or across the you know across continents to europe and i feel like australia has a really impressive music scene right now that is connecting with artists in america i mean look at kayla roy like he just dropped an incredible album in my opinion so you know i think like the ability to connect with people which is such a testament in my opinion to what music is it's such a, a unifier it's universal in terms of every culture has music and and music really allows people to feel things I would hate for there to be more barriers than than less in terms of what we can create as people who are either involved with music from where I sit or directly involved in making it as in where you sit. So, I mean, I guess I'll use it as a nice segue to say, you know, as you as you acknowledged, it was your dream to go out to Los Angeles, California. And I mean, when did that really start to click, though? You know, you're you're at this small town in New Hampshire and. I feel yeah. like it's a small town narrative where it's like, oh, you can't go out to Los Angeles, California. You're from New Hampshire. You're from, you know, I have friends that are from Ohio or, um, you know, down in nearby in Maine or Vermont. And it's like, you know, you can't make it out of that place because you're not already there. So I'm curious, you know, what was it like making that decision, going for it? You passed up on Berkeley School of Music, which, as I already said, brilliant, brilliant school. What was it like making that decision? And I'd like to acknowledge the success you've had, but when did that really start to kind of transform? Yeah, um, so that's that's interesting. I um, I always like had in the back of my mind. I definitely didn't like like when I was in high school, like making beats and stuff. I wasn't like, oh, I'm gonna move to LA and do this. Like I was like, Berkeley was pretty much the route that I was planning on 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 doing. And um, like I toured Berkeley, and I was like, oh, like this seems so dope. But then in the tour, like they were like, yeah, like. Berkeley is great. You'll become a great musician. But the best thing about Berkeley is like the connections that you can make here. And so that to me was like, all right, if I'm coming here for the connections, am I spending $70,000 to, you know, make connections when I can just do that on my own, like somewhere else? Definitely a big thing for me, like a reason where I was like, all right, like, is it worth it at the end of the day? And then my friend was going and I was like, all right. So he, at the time I was, I thought that I was just going to have a six month lease. And I was actually thinking about this the other day, how like stupid it was. I was like 19 years old. I was like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to be on a six month lease. I'm going to try to make it. And then if not, I'm going to come back and I'll go to Berkeley. And then to my surprise, it was actually a year lease. And I found that out the day that we were signing the lease in California, we had, we had driven across the country and we're signing the lease and we're already there. And I'm like, Oh, this is a year. And my homie who like set it all up, he's like, He's like, yeah, it is. And I'm like, oh, oh, fuck. Um, and I didn't have like, I, ha I had like a job lined up, but I didn't have a lot saved, dude. I, I, I had under two grand in my bank account, like moving out here. 19 year, 19 year old kid. I mean, it's almost like it was sort of written in the stars for you, you know? It was crazy. And um, so it didn't hit me that I had moved for like 
two months. And then I remember I got, I like ate this edible. I got so high. And I, and then I'll, I was all of a sudden I'm like, damn, where am I? Like, what mm-hmm. am I doing? Uh, just kind of all sit, like kick hit at once. And you're like, damn, like, am I really cut out for this? Like what, what you know, um, luckily, luckily, cause I was like, like I had a friend who was living with me at that time, like from New Hampshire and he moved back. He's like, I can't take it. And uh, luckily I was signed to the lease and I didn't have money to like pay it off. So I just, I, I stuck it out. I, I worked a full-time job at Target. I was a customer service manager my first year. Um, and, but as far as like any type of traction, I don't know, dude, it, it's, it was a while. And I was like, I, my first year I was kind of making my own music. Like I was making beats and I was like singing over it, like posting on SoundCloud, like kind of nothing like too serious. I wasn't even doing that much guitar or like instrumentation stuff at that time. It was more like I was working and I was making money and I remember people being like, so why'd you move out here? And at the time, I like didn't even want to say like, oh, for music, because I had no, I, I don't know, I had less than a thousand followers on my on my Instagram page. I was like, I didn't even have a drum set out here because I was so broke. I just had like my acoustic guitar. Um, and then just gradually, you know, you, you, you build a savings, you start you start buying the things you need to like start doing your thing. I didn't lose track of like my dream and the reason that I moved out here. It definitely got blurred when it was like months had gone on and nothing had happened where I was like, okay, like this is the right direction I'm going. Um, until it was like, I want to say, okay, so I moved out in 2019. Early 2021, I met um, this producer from where I'm from, but he was signed to 808 Mafia. His name is uh, Project X. He he was a good friend of mine at the time. We, we collaborated together. Um, I did, and That was when I started getting more into doing guitar stuff. So we collaborated on some beats. He got me like some some placements with some artists. And that was like, at the time, that was the biggest thing that's ever happened to me. And I was really stoked about that. From him just came more people because of his his reach that he had. I, I eventually started working with these guys. They're called Bad Neighbors. So later that year, I think, yeah, it was 2021. They approached me and they invited me to this session where it was so crazy. I was like this young kid, didn't know anybody here. And they were like, yo, just pull up, like bring your guitar. And then I get there and I'm like this little kid who's like 1,500 followers. Everybody there is like 200,000 plus. Everybody's verified. Everybody's like, like Tank God is there. He produced Rockstar by by uh, Post Malone. Bugs Ronan is there. He produced like a bunch of the songs on Eternal Take with Lucy and like Young Thug songs and stuff. Um, Bad Neighbors um, were there. And uh, Paris Shadows is another artist. Dro Kenji from Internet Money pulled up. And I'm just like, who are these people? I'm like, this, this is like the biggest session I've been in at this point. And uh, as soon as I get in there, he's, he's like, all right, plug in your guitar. Like, let's record something right now. And there's like 20 people in that in that one studio room. And I'm like, damn, like, this is crazy. And then I was so on the spot. But like, somehow I came up with something that like the producer homie who I was working with, his name was Cody. He liked it. We recorded it. And then him and Charlie Shuffler, who produced for Lil Peep, he was also there. He put drums on it with the dude Cody. And um, and then that artist, Pair of Shadows, recorded on it. And then... Um, after that session, I was like, all right, that was like the biggest thing I've ever done in LA. So like, yeah. And I was like, that's great. That was crazy. Um, and then nothing happened for like a month. I was like, all right, well that came and went, you know, I thought it was cool. Um, but then I got a DM from that Cody guy who hit me up and he's like, yo, like, let's get to work. And then from him, like came more stuff. I started, I worked with, um, Chris Miles and Lil Zan and Lil Tracy through them and bad neighbors. I have some songs with bad neighbors. Um, there's some like really talented, they're like, they're doing like trap ish stuff now. Like it's like kind of like metal trap. 
um, kind of shit. They're kind of on their whole way, but I, like I fuck with it. It's fire. Um, but I worked with them a lot when they were like doing more pop punk stuff. So I did a lot of drums for them. I cut a lot of guitars. Um, but that was like working with them was kind of like my my push into like, all right, like these are high pressure situations. You gotta, you gotta just come. You gotta be yourself, and you gotta act. Basically, just pull shit out of your ass. Here, you're under pressure. Here's a guitar. Record something. And that's when I realized, all right, well, like this is how it's gonna be. So I gotta like get my mind to that level where I can like take that kind of pressure. But that I want to say was two and a half years after I moved here, which that was a long time for me. First two years, nothing basically happened. Kind of it all started coming like after that, which was crazy. It was a crazy first thing for me. I mean, you really, you touched upon something that I think a lot of entertainers, artists especially go through, which is two things, actually. One is that that sink or swim, you know, that fight or flight. And it sounds like you swam and you fought and, you know, for everyone's betterment, it worked out and it's working out rather. And I, I think that's really a testament to just your natural ability, your overall character and just approach to this business and shouldn't call it a business, it's art. For me, I think a lot of things come full circle in this life. And that'll be the second thing I wanted to mention, which is I think a lot of people in this L.A. thing is is tough because I've been out there in similar situations where I'm trying to explain what do I do and who I work with and who I know. And it's a lot of this goes back to that point you made about Berkeley, where it's like, we'll teach you how to network or we'll help you build your network. And being in those sessions, it's like this, you know, I think it's this uh, priceless sort of type of networking that you can't really put a stamp on and, and no Berkeley college of music and not, no knock on them again, like a very great prestigious school. No university of Michigan in my case is going to prepare you for a situation. I get it's really a lot about who you are as a person. And I think that speaks volumes to your character and your dedication to this. And I guess with all that being said, you know, what would your advice be to someone who maybe is in a similar spot? They've been out in LA or they want to move out to LA and a lot of what's stopping them or kind of they're afraid to make the move or they've made the move and it just hasn't, you know, I think we live in this, and I say this a lot, this instant gratification world where people blow up on TikTok overnight, but you know what I don't think people see are the 50 videos they made before that led to that 51st one blowing up. And I'm just, what would you say to someone who is like, wow, that studio session that you got to took two years. Like, I don't know if I have to, like, you know, what would you say then? And I'll say real quick, patience is a virtue, people. Patience is a virtue. But what's your take on it? The thing is, LA is like a great city, regardless of the heaps of opportunity here, which is actually crazy. Your network is everything and like things come randomly, but like crazy things happen for no reason out of nowhere. LA is just a crazy city. Like there's the beach. There's like, I mean, there's girls. There's like, there's the mountains. There's Big Bear. There's Mammoth. If you ski, you know, whatever. There's the ocean. Um, it's just a great city. I mean, like people can knock on it, like for, especially where I'm from. I grew up in a small town, so my parents see me go to a big city. They're sending me news articles. They're like, oh, did you see this shooting that happened in downtown? I'm like, look, I'm like 25 minutes from downtown. Like, I, no, I didn't see it. It's just a place to live, bottom line. Like, yes, you have goals, you have aspirations, but it doesn't have to be, I need to get this this year or, you know, you just have to commit. This is where this is possible. And so I'm going to do what I can to like make it happen. So like, even if that's working a working at a restaurant, like four days a week, and then hustling, hustling music on the side or whatever you're doing, like auditions, if you're an actor, like whatever, there's the opportunities are there. It's a matter of how much you put yourself out there. So I'd also say like, don't be afraid to work with people for free because you never know who they know. For the first two years, how am I going to charge anybody? Who do they think I am that they're going to be? Oh yeah, let me throw, let me throw this dude like 150 bucks for a beat. Like no, that's not going to happen. I need to like expand my network by working with whoever, and then maybe they know somebody who who needs beats or they want to work or they get placements or they, you know. So it's like to to put a price on your head initially is not a great move. 
I would say like settle to like build a network, make friends. That's big. Like go to shows, go to random people's shows that you see, you know, you meet, um, just socialize. You know, if you're, if there are sessions, go to them, you know, there's network, there's all types of networking events and stuff, but like, yeah, like go to those things and be like, Hey, let's work. Like, you don't have to pay me. Like, let's just get in. I like your voice. I think you're a good artist. Or like, I think you're a good, good guitarist. Like, let's get a session in and just don't charge. And then like, it's collaborative. So maybe we'll get a placement together. Maybe we'll make bread together. Um, I think that's the best way to look at it. But to me, I think that's how people establish longevity and also um, kind of validate their their reason for doing it. Because if your goal is to, you know, I think you got to do something you love at the end of the day. I think if you're passionate about making music or acting in shows or movies or whatever it is, right? Like you should be willing to sacrifice a short-term monetary value of money to be able to work with and around people that you you find that passion through. And I, I think it again goes back to my point of, of which, as I said, I say a lot, like instant gratification, feeling like I need these things today. And then also there's this sense of entitlement, which I just think is absolutely ridiculous that certain people think, well, I moved out to LA, so I deserve all these things. And it's like, well, are you, how hard are you willing to work? Because I'll show you something that's willing to work that much harder. And, you know, again, I think um, you're absolutely right that when you do things for the right reasons, and I think that has to do with you actually believe in the product you're involved in, the people you're involved in, you believe in what you're contributing, and you're not doing it just to get a paycheck that day. Maybe you believe that this person or this record, I'm a, I always say it's a business. I understand that. But I think understanding your place and all that, I, I think that you've shown some incredible wisdom by understanding how to break in. Because I think people don't crack the initial seal because they're so worried about chasing clout. They go the easy way out with Instagram followers and trying to like pay for these clicks and pay for streams. And it's just like, that's not going to lead to longevity. That's going to lead to a very short trip uh, on this journey. And I don't think real musicians uh, aspire for that. And, like, we see cases where you know, one hit wonders and they have a little bit of success. But I think for most true musicians or actors or athletes or chefs or whatever walk of life you partake in, I, I, I think it's really important to want to do this for, you know, a long time, not a short time. And I think that goes back to your why. And if your why is to get paid $50 at the end of a session, or maybe it's even a few, like, Believe in the people you work around. I think that's kind of my take on what you just said. The beauty of the industry, as well as the the issues, you know, because I think there's a, a bit of a back and forth between, you know, the character of certain people that are willing to do things for the right reasons. And then those who are like, you know, uh, they, they tell you all the right things, they say all the right things, and they turn around and say, well, I need to be compensated today and not tomorrow. And wait right till tomorrow. You never know what's going to happen. That also to go along kind of with what I said too, but also it's like not to let people take advantage of you because that is something that like there are snakes out here. There are people who are looking for people like that. I definitely like in that time I was, I was doing the, Oh, everything's free. Like, let's just work. Sure. There were a lot of people who took advantage of that. And like, it, it took me a, a little to learn how to weed those people out. Um, but like, that's definitely something to keep in mind. So there are some people who like have, they, they don't have your best interest in mind at all. They just want like come in, like do something free. They don't put like, post you at all. Even post like at, there was, I had a session one time and I was doing it with this dude who I like, I thought he had more, I thought he had a decent amount of cloud. I could get some whatever off of it. So it was a free yeah. session. And I said like, yo, if you don't mind just like posting like my name on your story, just like tag, like he was, he was taking a video of my, of my vocal booth. And he, I'm like, yo, if you just like tag me, like, you know, whatever. 
no tag, like no nothing. He, he, you know, posted the song, no credit. I was like, all right, you know, whatever. Obviously not working with that dude again. So right. there are people who, who will take advantage of that. So just, yeah. Um, for you, those. Like you learned, like, would you change those experiences? I know. No. Yeah. No, like, because I think that's the other thing too, the growing pains. And that's why, you know, growing pains are very real. But I would, yeah, I wouldn't know. I wouldn't be where I am if I didn't like do those things. And if I didn't like, sit down, have those realizations, like, all right, like, you know, this is what I have to do. This is what I can't do anymore. I can't take anymore. You got to have your own boundaries. Like definitely don't like push beyond, like there's a certain, like definitely push the limit, push the ceiling of what you're comfortable. Don't go too far where you're like stressed all the time. Every single day you got like these crazy studio studio sessions with these people you don't know, you don't know where it's going to lead, you know, like, let me keep that in mind. Yeah, I don't. I wouldn't say I would change it because I feel like everything that's happened to me, b- bad or good, has definitely led me to at least where my mind is at, but also my career and like my understanding of like the industry out here in general. That's powerful. Um, well, Benzo, this has been an incredible conversation, and I hope it's the first of many because you know this was super insightful. I think for me as well as anyone out there who's interested in music and who's in this industry who wants to be in it. I think apply there, but I have one last question for you. It's our sort of like question we ask everyone, which is the secret sauce. And I think it's a, when I say the secret sauce, what is Benzo's secret sauce? And I always say it's a combination of, you know, what motivates you? What's your advice? I know we kind of touched up upon advice, but if you had to answer what Benzo's secret sauce is, what would you say it is? I'm glad you asked because this is something that I've been like applying a lot lately. It's a lot of pressure going to these things, especially the sessions, shows, you know, whatever, just things where you're put on the spot or you're like uncomfortable in that situation. Like a secret that I've been using because it was like, I'd be so nervous to go to one of these things and I'd go, it wouldn't be as big of a deal as I thought, but I had a great time. Like I, you know, I did, I did well on the guitar. I did well on the drums. And then I left with like more connections that I had when I got there, I would leave and I'd be in like such a good mood. I'd be feeling like on top of the world, like almost like a runner's high where I was like, you came, you accomplished, you, you conquered, you did what you had to do. So in going into things like that, instead of like thinking of the nerves leading up to it, I think of like, being excited to how I'm going to feel after I did it. You know what I mean? Like that runner's high where I'm like, all right, like this is a huge session with a huge producer. Like I'm super worried about it, but how am I going to feel after? Like, I'm going to feel great. The next day I'm going to be, I'm going to be like walking on a cloud for the next week. Cause I'm like, all right, like, where's this going to take my career? Like, cause it went so well or, or, you know, whatever, even if it doesn't, like, you're not going to go down. You're not, you're not going to like lose progress for, from doing that. So that's definitely what I've been applying to a lot lately. Um, but also just like, I mean, it's possible. Anything is possible. Even if it's just like a random thing or something that you're building up, like you could blow up overnight, but that blow up might've taken 10 years to, you know, to get there, 10 years of hard work, but people only see it from that one video. You've been doing it all the time. So, I mean, it's possible if you're dedicated and you have that motivation and that resolve, keep doing you and just like, keep believing in yourself. It's like the biggest thing. Well, I absolutely love that. I think it's a person, a perfect, excuse me. Perfect place to leave it for today. I mean, Benzo, thank you so much for coming on. Daddy, thank you for having me. This is great. And my pleasure, man. I really hope we do this again soon. Um, definitely would love to do it back out in LA as well. So everyone, Benzo Youngins, incredible. The Recipe, powered by Sauce Music, a collab production.